All right. Well, good morning once again, and uh, welcome back to those who are watching online from the break. Um, just to give a little bit of insight into where we're headed this morning is uh, tonight or today is the last uh, message, I guess, if you'd call it that, <laughs> what we're doing up here today. Uh, in our series on Jonah, and we've taken time over the last several weeks to talk through the book of Jonah, and it's been super challenging and really, really, um, it tracks so well with what is happening in the world right now, and it's almost like somebody planned it that way, you know? Um, and we, I know personally, and I know these guys as well, like, there's been a lot of stuff in here that we walked through that has challenged, like, a lot of what we have believed, and, and I understand new parts of God's heart that I didn't before, um, and we've heard lots of stories of people who are in that similar spot. Um, but what can be so easy uh, to happen is, as we walk through something that's oftentimes pretty big and deep, like the book of Jonah right now in our lives, uh, it can be easy to go a few weeks and be like, oh, I forget, like, what we had talked about before, um, or maybe something really hit us, but then as, as life progresses on, it's easy for us to kind of lose that stuff. And so what we decided to do at the end of uh, our series on Jonah is take some time to sit down, to pause for a second, and kind of go back over some of the things that really impacted us as a, a teaching team, things that we've heard have impacted you as, a, as our church and take some time again to walk through them and even have some conversation about them. So these are things that, that we feel like have really been on our hearts and minds, and they really have big consequence for us personally and I think us as a church. And so Matt's going to kick off our time uh, talking about kind of what stuck out to him the most as we walk through the book of Jonah. Yeah, before I uh, mention that, I do want to uh, just give some uh, context and clarity to something Kyle said a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago when he was preaching, he uh, was talking about his daughter, Vida, and uh, going on family hikes, if you remember that. I don't know if you remember that, but um, he was talking about how she kind of, she has to be prodded along and stuff. Well, Kyle and I went hiking in Yosemite uh, about a week ago and hiked up to Glacier Point and on a four-mile trail, and, and uh, you know, we were going up, and, and it was, you know, I, I think Kyle was getting tired, and... Um, he was kind of stopping. It's like a bold-faced lie, like all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I turned around and like, Kyle, come on, come on, Kyle. And like, I just looked around. And it was like this. He was like, Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, I'm. I'm here to uh, say that Vita gets it from him. Yep. Yep. I'm just happy. That just comes from. I'm happy to pass down some characteristics. <laughs> you know. I thought I had survived this and gotten away from it because it was like weeks later, and, but he can't let it go. So that's, that's where we're at this morning. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> I remember important things, Travis. Um, yeah. What's your anniversary? <laughs> September 10th. What year? It was in the <laughs> 90s. A year. I know what it is, but you should. Go, go ahead, Matt. I don't feel like Teach you deserve us. to know, Travis. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so the thing that really stuck out to me that, <laughs> that, uh, that God has had me, I would say, in kind of a holding pattern uh, over the last few weeks, just thinking about and thinking through, is um, from chapter two, and uh, as I was studying and working through that, and as, I, as I shared when I preached that passage, um, that idea of, of repentance, um, and, and really my growing understanding of repentance, 
especially as, as we see in Jonah's prayer and the lack of it, and then looking even bigger picture um, throughout the Bible. Um, in my tradition, or kind of evangelical conservative church, um, I think growing up, uh, what, I, what I was kind of taught repentance is, is uh, it's a confession or saying, I'm sorry, and, I'm gonna, and I won't do this again kind of thing. That's what, that's what I kind of saw as repentance, and I think, I don't know, maybe some of you relate with that. Uh, but the problem with that is that sorry, even when accompanied with obedience, is not necessarily repentance. And we see that with Jonah, because he wasn't actually repentant, even though he, I don't even know if he apologized, but he kind of said sorry, and then he went and obeyed and did what God called him to do. But we saw, especially as Travis preached last week in chapter four, there was no change of heart with Jonah. Um, it was just obedience for the sake of doing what God said so he wouldn't get into more trouble. And, and we also see that idea of repentance and, and how saying maybe I'm sorry and going and doing something different. We see that in life, even, even kind of in the rich young ruler in the New Testament. And, and so really repentance is a foundational change in the way I think and the position of my heart. And I say position of my heart because I think forgiveness deals with the condition of my heart. Forgiveness actually brings me to a place where I'm clean and, and, and I no longer have sin. Um, my dark heart has been purified. That's, forgiveness changes the condition of my heart, but I believe repentance, which is a part that I do, changes the position of my, char my heart. It's a positional change. So uh, it goes from the position of my heart pursuing what I want, what benefits me, what is most important to me, regardless of what, what it looks like to God, to a place of positioning it under God's sovereignty, surrendering to God, that kind of thing. That's what repentance is. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I guess I hadn't really thought before, um, but how much what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 uh, relates to this whole idea of repentance where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the, that is the core understanding of repentance. It, it is positionally a change of your heart, but it is also a changing how we think. And, and Paul here says that transformation comes from one of the primary places is the renewing of our minds, which is a state of repentance. Um, I, I, think, I think, you know, going back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 18, where, where John the Baptist is, he's at the river baptizing people, and, and there's these crowds coming, and his, his message is repent and be baptized. And, and he sees the religious leaders show up who are the ones who everyone sees as, oh yeah, they, they are the models. They are, they are, uh, they are the, the, the examples to follow. And, and John looks at them and he's super frustrated with them. And he says to them, the challenge is, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, they're just doing good deeds and good acts. They're, they're, they're doing things but it's not coming from a heart that is positioned under Christ. Their heart is positionally flawed. And so he says, bear fruit, not of your own good works, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance, a changed way of thinking and a positionally changed heart. 
Uh, in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus begins his earthly ministry, his public ministry, by saying, uh, by, by basically saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand, which I think there's so much in that statement because it's repent, change your thinking and the position of your heart because God's kingdom is more than the kingdom that you were born in and you think like. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when I went away to college and, and I came back, back home to, uh, on vacation, on breaks and stuff, and uh, my mom, like, did a lot of, like, shopping at, like, craft places and stuff. And so she found this, this sign, this, like, thing that, that she put up in my dad's study. Which I don't know if it was, like, a, a message to my dad or what, but, but I really, really liked it. And for some reason, I was drawn to it. But it's interesting because I have this better understanding of, of what that was all about. But, but um, it's a sign. And uh, so I came home and I stole it. Um, which seems odd that I stole it because at one point my mom was like, where's that sign that I got your dad? I was like, oh, I have it. And I just have always carried it with me. And so I've always had this and I have this in my office and I've always taken it with me because I just, I, I, there's always been a feeling in my heart that, that repentance is something more than I thought it was. And, and so even thinking in Philippians 2 where, where, where uh, Paul says that Jesus, though he was God, didn't grasp at that, didn't hang on to that, but he became a servant. And, and in a sense, that was, that was a, 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 an environment of repentance, that Jesus actually let go of the things that were his, and he thought and he positioned his heart as a servant. And it wasn't Jesus had to repent for sin, but repentance is more than just sin. Um, and so I think just the, th the three things that I was thinking about in application that I'm struggling through right now is this. One is um, I, I think that I and maybe we as a people are really bad at repentance because we do the whole sorry but thing all the time. Sorry but, and then we explain. Or um, yeah, I was wrong but, and then we explain. That's not repentance. That's not a change in thing because we're not real. When we say but, we're not changing how we think. I'm not changing my thoughts about that and I'm not changing the position of my heart. Second thing that I've been thinking about, even on a national scale, um, I was thinking about just the, the, the racial unrest right now and I was thinking back. Um, I think it's interesting that I think corporately as a country that our country has not been repentant. Um, I think it was a sorry you were a slave, but... Or, and, and the reason I say that is because we went from slavery to um, passing laws that actually uh, pinpointed people who were recently freed up to Jim Crow laws and segregation. That doesn't sound like a change of thinking and positionally a change of where our heart was as a nation. Um, so I think that's, I think there's a big thing of repentance there. Um, I, I all, and then personally, what I've come to kind of really struggle with and God has me kind of circling is this idea of I think that I function in a place of my rights over repentance because um, repentance is actually me choosing to let go of the way I think about things and allow God to think through me. It's changing the position of my heart and actually following through. So it's not just an obedience out of out of honor or, or, or just doing it because I know that that's the right thing to do. It actually, my, my heart should change and actually pursue that. Um, I think w one of the interesting things is just 
um, how, how God has just been really growing my understanding of repentance. And so that's what I've been really thinking about lately. So you guys. Yeah, I, I, I love that so much because what I think that accomplishes is like an actual movement of the church like that we all want to see, right? Um, I think for a lot of our history, um, maybe intentionally or not, like we always weigh the, the heavier part of repentance on like what you do afterwards. And that's not like a bad thing. I mean, inward change should lead to outward change, but we're kind of like, prove to me that you repented, but we never really go back and be like, but did your thinking change? Did your heart change? And even when you brought up like the racial unrest in our country, like one thing I feel like is very obviously going to happen is there's going to be all of these organizations and companies and people who are like, look, I'm, I'm with it. I'm, I'm down, you know, and I, I, uh, act in ways that support that, but if you pulled back the curtain back to where their actual heart is, where their actual mind is, like, we've seen videos and we've seen stories of people who didn't know their phone was on or whatever, and they're just saying terrible, terrible things that show, like, a a lack of change of heart, And and I really think this is one of the things that can separate us as the church, as followers of Jesus, from just a world that's chasing some form of morality, like, as a church, if our hearts and minds are changed toward people and toward uh, the world around us and toward our own sin, um, we actually can function the way that Jesus has called us to function. Um, but I just, for years and years, never really connected it to, like, actually, that's, like, ongoing repentance. Right. Like, it always felt separate from, like, what we do moving forward. But I think that's a real, a real game changer for us, big time. Yeah, as you guys talk, the thing that continues to just swirl in my mind is something God's been trying to just teach me for probably about five, seven years now, um, is that there are some places in my mind and my heart that I just don't have really good access to. Like, you know, we say repent, change, but there are, if we're just all honest, if I'm being honest, there are things in my life, ways I think, ways I feel, that um, I just don't feel like I can change. And those things have changed in me, but it was only when I went to the Lord and said, I can't do this. Like, I don't think I have it in me, and I don't think I have access to that part of my brain or my heart. It's so, like, driven into me that I can't do that. And I think that's some of the most powerful words we can say when we come to God is, I can't. Right? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, I come to you poor, empty. I have nothing in my hand to give you, and yet you can break down this wall. You can change this thing in me. So I think that, to me, is the biggest reminder is that it's not willpower alone. We have to have our will. We have to have a desire to change, but uh, ultimately it comes down to asking God. Even Second Timothy talks about God granting repentance, giving repentance to people, which is not a category we tend to think about repentance, and it's something I do, I have control over. And so much of it, I think, is God giving us the repentance that he seeks in our lives. I think one last thing that... Um that I think we need to change how we think about this is that, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I think a lot of us see repentance as like a bad place to be. In other words, like I'm repenting because I've done something wrong. I'm repenting. It's almost like repentance is a timeout, um, that like you're, you're repenting. But, but I think repentance is a good thing. And repentance as a place to be, as a context of your life, is a good place. Um, again, John says to the, to the religious leaders, he says, bear fruit in keeping with the spirit of repentance. 
bear fruit with keeping with repentance. And, and, so, and so that's a place where I, you and I should be. We should always be in a place of, of growing to become more like Jesus, and we should always be in a place of repentance because the things that come out of our lives must come from a changed thinking and, a, and positionally a changed heart. If, if we are not constantly in a place of repentance, which is a good place to be in. It's the place Jesus wants us. It's not, I'm being punished. It's not, I should feel shameful or guilty. It's that, that I should be in a place of constant repentance, of changing my thinking and positionally making sure my heart is where it should be. So I guess just to encourage you and say, maybe think of repentance in a different light if you don't think about that. If you think of it as, as apology or I'm under someone because I've done something, no, repentance is a good place to be. I love that because that's like, that's so key to kind of unlocking like what I've been so challenged with in this as well. Like when I, when I look at Jonah, the thing that keeps swirling around in my mind and the thing that keeps like coming up in, in my thoughts is just this huge distinction, this massive gap between how Jonah responds to like God's voice and God's call in his life and how the, the Ninevites, even the Philistine uh, sailors how they respond. And we see like God come to Jonah and he's like dragging his feet and he's like whining about it. He's crying about it. He's running the opposite direction. He misses the whole point. And then he gets super frustrated that God acts the exact way that he expected for him to act. And um, he's just so slow in understanding and even walking out what God has called him to and what God has called in, in his life. And then we see the Ninevites with like so little information and so little reason like forsake their culture and their heritage and everything that made them who they were, not even exactly knowing if God was gonna like come through on his end, but saying like, we gotta do something, the change has to come. And it's just such a, a, a stark contrast because when we, when we see Jonah, like he's a great picture of like the nation of Israel, like throughout the whole Bible, that's their deal, where they're like, we know God, we're around God, he's our God, but like don't ask us to do too much, you know, like, like let's not go crazy about this. And then they find themselves in a really bad spot and they're like, we're sorry God, we're sorry God, not repentant, just we're sorry God. And then the cycle all starts again and even the religious leaders do that, that's why they hated Jesus so much and, and we see Jesus sitting down with these people who shouldn't get it and don't really have the, the skills equipped to really understand God's kingdom, the sinners and the tax collectors, all these people, but they're the ones who said, there's something here that we need to investigate. And I just, as I've thought about that and even looked at my own life, I've, I've had to ask myself the question, like, am I really slow in, yes, acting out what God has called in my life, but even bring it back one level, just opening my eyes to what God is saying to me? Like, do I jump to be defensive? Do I find reasons to justify what I'm doing? Or am I quick, even if I don't completely understand, to say, God, I trust you? And when I consider this, there's really like a twofold response or consequence, I guess, for me. One is I have to own my own slowness to kind of wake up to what God is saying to me. I think we're really, really good at doing... Uh, intellectual gymnastics to, to, to find ways to not actually like open our eyes to like what God wants to do with us. Um, am I seeing the brokenness in the world around me? Do I see the brokenness inside of me? And am I willing to call it out? Um, but then the second consequence, uh, which is hope for me, is how quickly God can change a people, how quickly God can change like an entire society, and even how quickly God can change my heart if I'm willing to open my eyes, open my heart to, to what God 
wants to say. I think about it like this all the time, and I just, I don't want to be this person. Like, I, I identify with Jonah a lot. I identify with the Israelites a lot. I've been around God my whole life, um, and I'm not mad about that. That's awesome that I had a family who loves God and, and made that a priority. But I've been around him my whole life, and I, and I find it easy to kind of take the slow approach when God says something to me. Like, I gotta be moderate about this. Don't wanna go crazy, you know? But you see those people, and maybe you are one of those people who maybe they're in like their mid-20s or later on in life, and maybe they've lived a rough life, maybe not, but they, they meet Jesus, and it is, they are just like all in, you know? They are so pumped about it. And I've just seen too many times, and I hate that I've even maybe been a part of this, where we as a church, as people who have been around God a long time, like we kind of come alongside and be like, okay, like calm down a little bit, you know? Like, let's not go too crazy about this. Instead of being like, hey, you're rough around the edges, that's cool, that's awesome, that's, that's grace in you. But uh, man, don't, don't lose that, that softness in you to respond when God speaks whether it's to you as an individual, to you as uh, your role in society or in the world, um, don't lose that softness. Um, I, think, I think often how much God could do with people who are quick to recognize like what he's saying to them, whatever he's saying to them, and then be willing to step out into it. And uh, God's just definitely been challenging kind of the way I live my life a lot through that truth um, throughout, this, throughout the book of Jonah. I think it's, it's almost weird in, uh, that that it seems like it shouldn't be this way, but it almost seems like a person who has just met Jesus and maybe knows less about God than those of us who've been in the church and maybe know more um, seems to oftentimes, and not all the times, but oftentimes be more grateful and more excited and more like ready to do like, so I just read this verse and it said this, I'm gonna go do it. And yet then, then, then I sometimes I'm kind of like, well, let's, the jury's not out yet. Let's hold off. Let's get more verses that say the same thing because I'm not ready to do that yet. And it's just kind of, we kind of do that and we, we don't jump at that. And I feel like, like as you were talking, Kyle, like I totally feel like that. And I think sometimes we, I feel like I need more convincing from God to do something and I shouldn't need more convincing from God because I know God's faithfulness and I know who God is and I understand who he is. And I think, was, I think of a, a, when I was, when our youngest Josh was little, he was in preschool and I was driving him to preschool. And I think, I think he, we were talking about Jesus in the car. And, and again, it's not like it was brand new to him, but it was, he was, he was, we were talking, you know, more and more about Jesus. And so we're talking about Jesus in the car and he was asking questions and, and, and all of a sudden he was like, we we're talking about, you know, what do you do to accept Jesus into your life? And we we're telling him, and he was like, I want to do that. I was like, okay, yeah. And, you know, we're almost at preschool. It's like, yeah, we can do that, you know, after preschool. And, and then he was like, no, I want to do it now. And I was like, well, you know, we're going to be late. And then I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, worst parenting ever. Like, but it was kind of like, it just didn't, I think because of my lack, it's, it's that lack of immediacy of like, oh, you know, we got time. Um, but, but he was kind of like, why would I not do this right now? So, I mean, we did, and he did, but, but it was just kind of like, what's wrong with me? And I think it's just that familiarity and, and almost like Jonah, realizing that I'm a lot more like Jonah than I want to be, like realizing that Jonah needed a lot of convincing from God, as opposed to a lot of people that I see who maybe don't have the education that I have, don't have the life experience that I have, but they're raring to go when Jesus says something and they jump on it. 
Yeah, I, I too get, feel conviction on how long it takes sometimes for just me to even stop and consider that I need to repent something about something or, or just be in repentance. And, but I, I do, like God has reassured my heart too. You know, when I was a kid, well, all growing up, I've just been very uh, prone to guilt and shame, like it just comes easy to me. Um, I'm really good at guilting myself and shaming myself and can, you know, anything that, even when someone else gets in trouble for something, I stop and think, oh my gosh, you know, am I, is there something wrong with me too? And like so much to the effect that my mom tells me a story of when I was a little kid, I had done something wrong, I got sent to my room, and then like I came out of the room with this like paper bag over my head, like shame, like, you know, with the eyes drawn out. I don't know if I did that, but like, it, it was like I was, you know, ashamed, and I don't know if that was just drama and me trying to get attention or if I really felt that, but um, for people who are like more geared towards shame and guilt and, and things like that, this uh, this thing of, hey, you know, we, we, we take so long to repent can can have this uh, effect where it's like, okay, I can't be that way, so I'm gonna control this and I'm gonna repent. And I think we just remember, need to remember as well that as, as much as our hearts need to be in that place of like pedal to the metal, I wanna repent, that God is in control of the outcome of that and he's incredibly gracious. So I think that's just a really good reminder um, for us as we talk about this rate of repentance thing too. Um, the thing that God spoke to me about was uh, uh, when, I, when I was studying for and preaching chapter four of, of Jonah, and it was just this realization um, is that the, uh, God's people throughout history have a real history of being completely off mission and completely missing it, like not even knowing, having no clue. Uh, Jonah is this representative of Israel and um, he is, his heart was completely off mission, completely off base, and he thought he was okay. I mean, even when God's questioning him in chapter four and saying, do you do well to be angry? He digs his heels in and says, yeah, I'm the one in the right here. I do very well to be angry, angry enough to die. And so just the realization for me, it's a little scary for me, but how God's people, the church today, can be completely off mission and think we're doing okay, even think we're hitting it out of the park. Um, that to me is a sobering thought. And um, God, when he started this whole relationship with people back with Abraham, kind of is where I look at God really starting with a group of people and he picks this one family and says, Abraham, out of your family, I'm gonna bless you. And he doesn't just leave it there with, I'm gonna bless you, but he says, there's a reason for it. I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations, to all the other people in the world. Um, and so we as a church have that mandate too. God has blessed and saved us, but it doesn't end there. It's supposed to be that we're a blessing to the entire world. And so I, th I think one of the barometers kind of that, that, it, that should be a good warning light for us when that, that we as a church or we as individuals are off mission is when our heart grows cold to the people around us, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to people in the world who are in pain, people in the world who need Jesus, when we just don't care or there's just barely a spark there, um, I think that's a major warning sign that the church is off mission. That was the warning sign for Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, you don't pity them, but should I not pity 120,000 people? And he's kind of leaving the ball in Jonah's court like, you should care too. You should love them too. You should feel more about this. And he didn't. 
And so when we are in that place of our heart growing cold, I think that's the dashboard light that is one of them that is flashing and saying, we've, we've missed the point. Our heart is a little far from God. Um, so that's kind of really where God's been speaking to me. Yeah. Um, I think as you kind of talk through that about um, that convicting part of, of how God sees people and how he cares for people. And um, I've been thinking through, throughout this, uh, the last four months and the pandemic and everything that's gone on, um, I know that I, I recognize that there are bright spots, that there are, um, you know, shining examples of selfness, selflessness in the midst of this. But, but I think in a bigger picture, I have just, I am becoming more and more profoundly disappointed with humanity, like, like the whole thing. And just that, just the way, the way our, our society and even just uh, human beings act and respond and, and, and just the stuff that's going on is just so disappointing and frustrating. And um, I think like Jonah, that it is way easier to just not care for people than it is to care about people, um, to actually care for people. I mean, um, Jonah's decision was to, you know, like you said, to go the other way and say, I don't want to care about these people because I don't want to see what God might do for them because I don't care, and not, not, not only do I not care about them, I don't like them. And, 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 and it's way, it's so easy to do that. It's easy not to care. That's what we do when we're like out of energy and we're tired and we're frustrated and we're exhausted, we just don't care anymore. And I, and I think um, it's so much harder to care. It's so much harder to actually care for those people, but, but God, God says, and, and we see this, the thing that God was so dealing with Jonah with was the fact that he didn't have compassion the way that God had compassion on, on people around him, whether they were friend or foe. Um, I think back to uh, what Rick Warren says in the first line of the Purpose Driven Life, regardless of, of, of what you think of Rick Warren or the book Purpose Driven Life, um, if there's anything that you should read, it's the first line of that book. And he says, it's not about you. Um, and frankly, if you're offended by anything that Rick Warren's ever said, that should be the thing that you're most offended about. Because that's the thing that hits all of us where it counts, where it matters. Because we live by our very nature that things are about us. It's so interesting to see in the last four months the things that people get worked up about. If it's not about them, they don't care. If it doesn't affect them, they don't care. If it affects me, I care because it's all about me. And I think that's where Jonah was because it was all about him and I think that's where I often am. And I think that's such a convicting thing and that when I'm there, I'm so off mission of where God is and what God wants. It's, it's kind of unbelievable and, and it's just, I mean, that's a super convicting thing that I need to kind of sit in for a while. And I think on the opposite side of it, that's where the hope lies too in this really terrible example that we have in the person of Jonah is that when we, when we make that decision, like it's not about us, then repentance isn't nearly as scary as it was. Um, in fact, we start to recognize it for the gift that it is. And then um, when we live in that repentance, then it pushes us to quick action, to quick changing of our mind, to quick stepping out of what God wants us to do. And then we actually begin to function like the church is supposed to function um, and actually care for the hurt and the brokenness in the world, uh, care for, uh, have care for like the sin in our own lives and in our churches. And Jesus 
begins to change people's hearts and, and people's lives. And um, I think I think that Jonah gives us such a clear picture of what will happen if we go the opposite direction. <laughs> and it's such a clear warning sign to us to like, okay, let's embrace the things he didn't so that we can see God do the things he wants to do in us and, and through, our, through our church, for sure. Yeah, and I think here's the hope that we see in Jonah regarding the church and when we get off track. Uh, God didn't stop pursuing Jonah. He could have easily washed his hands of Jonah earlier, or we just never would have heard of Jonah again after uh, Nineveh repented. But you notice Nineveh repents, but the story's not over because Jonah's pouting and sulking and God is still pursuing him. That, just the fact that Jonah 4 exists, that that chapter exists, is an amazing testament to the grace of God for his people. The church can get way off track, but God doesn't give up on his people. The fact that he started this with Abraham thousands of years ago and that there is a continuous, uh, there's a continuous strain of people who love and are with God and follow God and then Jesus dies on the cross and that the church, there's a continuous string from the time Jesus died to where we are now of people who follow God and it's not only just continuous, it's grown exponentially. God doesn't give up on his church. So when we get off, or even just in our own lives, when we get off track, it's not this shame, guilt thing. It's God's gracious invitation to come back. Uh, and, and for the church in general, come back. And when you find that you've lost your way, come back. He doesn't give up on his people. He never has, and he never will. And so that's the hope for us through Jonah too, is we see God continuing to pursue Jonah even when he is the most indignant he's ever been and God still hasn't given up. So that gives me great hope for the church. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that, that um, you see in Jonah 4 how God treats Jonah. Um, at no point does God like look at Jonah and be like, you have failed the city and, or anything like that. He, he looks at Jonah and he says like, you know, I are you, are you, is it good to be angry about the plant? Is it good for you? Is it, is that helpful? Is this a good thing? And I mean, let's, I mean, Jonah, throughout the whole book, Jonah is kind of a turd. And, and so you've got through this and he's just acting and behaving, but at no point does God not deal with him with compassion and love and hopefulness and he just, he, he cares for him in such a, an awesome way. And, and it's interesting because I think I've heard a number of people um, over the last months on different levels say things like, well, I, the church has failed or the church has this and all that. And, and I think the important thing is to recognize that the church hasn't failed. Um, Jonah didn't fail. God didn't say, you're a failure. You failed, Jonah. Now we have to figure this out. God said, Jonah, is it good for you to be angry? And I think God says to us and to me in my life, I think he says, I mean, when it's, when it's something not really that big a deal when I'm on the road and I would like to gingerly move someone off the road and let their car die so that they're just off the road and won't be in my way anymore, um, God says, do you do right to be angry with them? And I think to the bigger things where, where it's things that I am just at complete odds with another person or a group of people and God says, do you do right to say those things, to think those things, to feel those things? And, and, it, and, and I, don't, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's this, it's this compassionate hand that God has with us. And so I think the encouragement is that 
the church hasn't, nor will it fail. Because Jesus says that, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. And it's not because the church is awesome. It's because the church, when it functions in humility and repentance, when we as the church recognize that, that we have to, have to listen to what God says and do what God says, even if we don't feel like we have enough convincing from him, that when we recognize that we're, we're off mission, that we, in humility and repentance, live in that spirit and, and come back and actually do what God calls us to do, that the church is not a failure. The church, we can make, we as individuals and corporately, we can make really poor decisions, but it's not a failure. The church hasn't failed. The church is still strong because of who the church is anchored in, and it's anchored in Jesus Christ. And so I think the book of Jonah is an incredibly encouraging book because of the way God treats Jonah, not the way Jonah treated others, but because of the way God treated Jonah through and through, no matter how frustrating or bad Jonah got. So um, I'm gonna just pray for us, and uh, um, I'm gonna, the worship team's gonna come back up and we're gonna sing together uh, as we close this morning. And so let me pray for us. Father, we come before you. And God, I thank you uh, that you see fit to give us such powerful and clear examples of how you work. Um, God, what you expect from us, um, what, what living to become more like Jesus looks like. Um, God, I, th I thank you even for the season that we're in as frustrating and exhausting as it is. Uh, God, Sometimes it takes things like this for you to reveal things about ourselves and about the state of, of our thinking and the position of our heart. Um, God, I, I thank you for your mercy in showing us, but God, I thank you that how through all of this that there's not a point that you just us and say, you have failed, you are a failure, but God, that even in our darkest moments, you say, is this good for you right now? And that, God, we can come to you in a spirit of repentance. That, God, our, our, our fruit that we bear could come from a place of repentance. So, Father, I, I pray for those who are struggling today. Um, there's so many things to be struggling with. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage, that maybe this conversation would have been an encouragement, and that we can continue to kind of circle, pause in this moment, and continue to think through what this means for us and how we move forward and what we look like. So God, I thank you for this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.